Hello and welcome to the Leaders Team podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Leaders Team at Twinkle, where we chat about all things teaching and leading. As former teachers and leaders in schools ourselves, we want to amplify the voices of those in and out of the teaching profession and share the incredible things they're doing to make education a better place for everyone. On today's episode, we have the wonderful Emma Turner speaking to us about flexible working in schools. first part of flexible working really is myth-busting. It's actually blowing it out of the water and saying it's flexible working is not a reactive decision to what's going on in your life. Flexible working should be a proactive career choice, a proactive way of working. Emma is currently the research and CPD lead for Discovery Trust based in the East Midlands. She has been in primary education for 24 years and has been a class teacher, assistant and deputy head, a national strategy consultant, and then became one of the UK's first all-female co-headship, which ran for eight years. She's the author of Be More Toddler and Let's Talk About Flex, and is an advocate for flexible working and balance in teaching and leadership. Emma is the regional lead for the Department for Education's Flexible Working Ambassador Schools Programme and a member of the DfE's Specialist Advisory Group for Flexible Working. She's also a regular speaker at events across the country talking about flexible working, leadership and early career development and also co-hosts the John Cat podcast Mind the Gap with Tom Sherrington. We're delighted to have Emma come and talk to us for this episode and we know you'll get a lot from what she has to say. So here we go. Here's Flexible Working in Schools with Emma Turner. Welcome, Emma, to the Leaders Team podcast. It's fantastic to have you here today. How are you doing? Really well. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. you. Um, I'm dead excited as well because this is one of the first episodes we've had in a long time where I've got Oliver back with me as my co-host. It's great to be back as well. I've missed doing these, Emily. So really looking forward to today's conversation. It's going to be great. Um, So, Emma, we are absolutely thrilled to have you here. I'm so interested in the work that you do, what you talk about, the books that you've written. Um, and we're going to get into that conversation in a little bit. But I wanted to know, first of all, um, how you got into teaching. Did you always want to become a teacher? We always ask this of people. Um, and, I, and I love finding out the stories of everyone. So how did you get into teaching? Oh, I always feel like such a fraud when anybody asks me this because I, I feel like I should be one of the people who goes, yeah, I always used to line my teddies up and mm. I used to play schools. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I um, I was going to go into medicine. I was going to be a doctor. Um, and then I was actually really poorly during my A-levels and had an awful lot of time away in hospital. So didn't necessarily get the grades that I was going to get for medicine. And so did a one-year kind of access top-up course so that I could go into medicine got halfway through that and thought I think I've changed my mind (laughs) Um, because I'd always worked in sort of care and care of the elderly and that's what I was going to go into and I suddenly thought you know I've also run 
like lots of play schemes and done lots of sports coaching and that sort of thing. I really like teaching and I really like working with young people. So I've got kind of both ends of the spectrum, both yeah. the elderly patients that I worked with and then young people on play schemes. And so I moved um, from near London up to Liverpool and trained there doing a really bizarre, which doesn't exist anymore, um, four-year key stage two, three um, science teaching course yeah. Um, where I did my QTS over four years, but also did a straight um, science honours degree at the same time. It was like a kind of a sandwich course, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then never looked back. Kind of the first day on the teacher training course, thought I found my groove. This is my thing. <laughs> this is what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I got into teaching. But I always feel like I should say yes. I've always wanted to do it. It was a calling. I was visited by the teaching mm-hmm. angel and told that this is my future. But <laughs> now I kind of, I kind of fell into it really. Um, yeah. But I never looked back. Absolutely loved it. Lo- I loved every day. I have loved every day in education. And that's not just me being a bit sickly. I genuinely have. Yeah. Have you got a particular sort of age group then that you prefer? Because that's quite a spread being Key Stage 2 and Key Stage 3. Do you um, feel particularly drawn to one or the other or do you still sort of straddle that gap? Primary is my spiritual home, yes. let's put it like that. I am so mm-hmm. a primary teacher. Um, and I did get the classic thing of getting trapped in year six. Mm-hmm. If you ever get into year six and you you're kind of out, okay you? at it, you're never allowed to leave. That's it. Yeah. Um, if I had my time again, and obviously I've got three small children now, I really like working with children in early years and key stage yeah. one now. So if I could start again, I'd probably start at that end because yes. I really love working with the very youngest learners. But my kind of natural groove, I guess, is upper key stage two. Um, I really love that age group and all of the excitement about transitioning to high school and all yeah. the links that you can make with secondary and obviously having that background in spanning two, three. Yes. That, I guess that's my professional wheelhouse, but my spiritual home is is with the younger ones. Yeah. And do you still get a chance to get into school enough? I know some people yeah. who you know feel called to teach, it's almost like I have to be in school and absolutely love it. And then they get drawn away from that into doing other things. Oh, I'm do you really still manage to get in? really lucky that um in the trust that i work for we've got 15 schools who've all pretty much got open door policies and i am in and out of their schools all the time i work with the head teachers i also run our early career program so i work directly with all of our early career teachers kind of in and out of their schools working with them so although i haven't got my own class anymore i'm i'm kind of in and out everywhere and then i do kind of wider school improvement work as well so i'm in lots of other schools um so I get my fix. Although I have yes. missed the nativity this year, I've not se- oh, I've not seen a nativity this year, and I feel like this part of part of the season that's lucky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. That's quite a varied role. There is there a particular bit of that that you you feel particularly drawn to then, or do you just enjoy the variety of doing um, early careers and the, the school improvement and everything else that you do? I've always loved teacher development. Um, yeah. Right from kind of early on in my career, I ended up ended up as a national strategy consultant in my fourth year of teaching. So that was very much working with schools across our region, working with leadership teams, working with um, heads of department, working with teachers directly in their classroom. And that's where I kind of got the bug for teacher development because yeah. um, people say, you know, you've got a vision, you've got a mission in life, what's your why kind of thing. And, and mine is put great teachers in front of kids. And if you're a great teacher yourself, your reach is 30 children. If you can develop great teachers for the system, 
your reach in terms of improving outcomes for pupils can potentially be huge. So developing teachers at all stages of the career is great, but early career teachers, such a privilege because you get to really shape their view of the system, their view of the sector, um, and get to kind of introduce them to the best job in the world, basically. Mm. You get to kind of lead them by the hand into the profession, and it's it's an absolute joy working with them. And then, because I've worked with our trust for a long time, seeing them move into their early leadership roles and it's yeah. just brilliant it's yeah. such a great a great aspect of the role so yeah teacher development is definitely my my thing that's, that's and it's great. really important is it at that at that stage where you are introducing them into the career like you say and for it to be got right because so many young teachers or early career teachers should I say are leaving the profession within just a mm-hmm. few years and if you can get it right right at the beginning that's going to have a long lasting effect throughout their career, I would imagine. Absolutely huge. And we're really proud of our retention rate that we've got. You know, we're, we're really proud of our early career offer because we kind of, we train them through our skits. That's the other thing that I do yes. is our guest lecture on our skits as well. So we've got a really joined up program right through from the skit all the way through mm-hmm. into our kind of early career program, into our trust and then into our, our leadership development program. So we hope we've got it right locally. Yeah. <laughs> The feedback so. from our staff is that we potentially have, but yeah, getting yeah. right early doors is so is so important to retain that talent and to retain that fire for wanting to teach and wanting to be yes. in the system, because it is a job where you have to give a lot of yourself, and if you don't feel valued and you don't feel invested in and you don't feel like cared about, basically, yes. then it's really hard to give of yourself when you're not being developed as well. So. Um, getting it right with early career teachers reaps huge, huge rewards for the system and also for all the children in, um, who we serve. So, yes, it's great. Yeah. And do you spot potential at that point? Are there, oh, there are early career teachers that you, you yeah. see coming through and you think, actually, that person's going to be amazing leading early years or that yeah. person's going to be amazing in headship? Can you see it that yeah. early on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not an exact science, as in obviously right. people people have got stuff going on in their lives and it might yes. be the right time and blah, blah, blah. But occasionally you just see someone, you just think, wow. And I'll tell you an example of one, and he won't mind me saying this. Mm-hmm. It was a teacher who was on our early career course a few years ago, and I remember being absolutely knocked sideways by him. I just thought, you are yeah. going places. You are awesome, amazing, and brilliant. Like, mm-hmm. And he has since set up, I don't know whether you've seen Men Teach Primary. on. Yes. Yeah. It was him. Um, right. And when he got in touch with me after he'd set up Men Teach Primary, because he moved away, he reloc- his family relocated to another part of the country, which is why we kind of lost him from our trust. Yes. Um, but I remember him getting back in touch. And I was like, I always knew you were going to be <laughs> brilliant. I knew you were going to be brilliant. I knew yeah. you were going to do great things. So, yes, you can spot talent, but part of teacher development is developing the talents of everybody, not yes. just kind of the firecrackers at the beginning, but actually yeah. really investing in long-term teacher development for all because everybody has the ability to get better and to develop yes. as a teacher. But yeah, you can spot somebody who it, they just seem to be born to it. Mm-hmm. But the, mm-hmm. the trick is in teacher development is managing to make everybody shine, for want of a better word, in, in their field. And, and that's that's where the hard work, that's where the rewarding work comes. I'm I'm really interested just going back to what you were saying your staff you, when you said oh you know I think from the staff we're getting it right and the retention rate's good I'm really interested what does getting it right look like what kind of things do you do uh, with the early career teachers to solidify that entry into the profession that means that they stay for a long time it's slightly different now because we've got the early career framework so we had quite a robust local offer prior to ECF 
Mm-hmm. So they access the early career framework now um, and all the support that goes around that. But in our trust as well, every single teacher, regardless of stage or role, gets an additional two hours non-contact yeah. time per week um, where they get a coach. They've got personal development pathways. They've got um, time to read and research. So that's in addition to everything else they get. Yeah. They get a, um, all this offer. So we invest in their professional development. We also train our mentors really well, um, uh, not only in the kind of the statutory things about this is how you coach somebody this, but actually yeah. how to be a really great mentor, all the personal skills that go around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say we have a program of coaching that goes throughout our trust, both instructional coaching and facilitative coaching, so that yeah. people get that kind of professional discussion and then they get the kind of instructional uh, discussion as well, how to become a great practitioner and also how to be a great professional. So we do that. Um, we also have network meetings for our early career teachers that are in addition to the early career framework. And we've kept from our original offer a suite of additional electives that are uh, ECT1s and ECT2s, NQTs and RQTs can yeah. now still come to that are led by experts in our trust um, to support their kind of general offer that they get from ECF so they can, and it's all free and it, you know, all they yeah. have to do is turn up and it's all online um, as well. So we record it and they can access it. So there is so much support baked yeah. in to their offer yeah. because we just want to get it right. So, and so they have me as their contact as well. So they can contact me anytime day or night. I said, you can contact me at night because my children are an insomniac trio of sleep food. So I'll probably be up at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Um, but they know that they've got not just their in-school support, but they've got central team members that they can yeah. kind of tap into for support. They've got the wider networks within the ECF. So that we really kind of take them by the hand and introduce them to a whole swathe of people whilst also yeah. underpinning their professional teaching time with plenty of time off timetable to develop that knowledge, to develop that skill, to do the reading, to do the reflection so that they feel really well supported um, in yeah. their role. Nice. Does that mean you need to recruit the right people as well? Do you do you put a lot of effort into getting the right people in, or is that support just for anyone who has that, well, to be working we, with? We we give that to everybody. That's a that's yes. a blanket offer across the trust, yeah. regardless of who you are or where you came from. You know, yes. <laughs> everybody gets the same offer. Um, yeah. But we also because we run our own skit as well. Mm-hmm. We uh, obviously recruit onto the skit, so we select yeah. our. Um, our skit students and then our skit team we work with a group of other trusts to provide the skit so we're really proud really proud of the 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 skit offer that we've got so we're already developing the professionals that we know will work really well to serve our local communities not necessarily just our schools but our local communities um and then when they do come into our schools, they're because we're t- we're all teaching on the yes. skit, they kind of know us. They they're already they feel quite well established. A lot of them. So yeah, we're really proud of the, our route through right from yes. recruitment onto initial teacher education all the way through to to yeah. leadership. I can imagine that that kind of level of support has a massive effect on their mental well being uh, in school as well. Like just knowing that there's people. Com- not only committed to their development but available for them mm-hmm. um we do lots of staff surveys um through our hr teams about staff well-being and their perception of the leaders in the trust the work in the trust you know we, we really yeah. we actively encourage feedback for, for mm-hmm. us how to get better 
And then it's also making sure that everybody's adequately represented. And we do a lot of work with the GEC, the Global Equality Collective. We use yeah. their um, analytics to analyse people's attitudes to how how included they feel, whether our offers are equitable, you know, how whether access is fair and transparent. And we do all of that. So we make sure that not only we're recruiting the right people into the role, but also then we are working in the right ways to make yes. sure that they feel supported that they feel they can access and they feel represented as well that's great um, so we do loads of work with gc um, and if you don't work with gc and as a school i would definitely recommend getting in touch with them because their work is unbelievably brilliant and so cheap <laughs> <laughs> um so emma i'm really interested in what you you talk a lot about flexible working this is kind of your thing let's talk about flex is is what you've written and i'm really interested for people listening and me and for me um i'd really like you to kind of talk about what it is how it works in schools because I know a lot about flexible flexible working because of the job that I'm in now and there's a flexible working policy where it really works. Um, but I'm really interested in, in how that then transfers into a school. It's interesting because people automatically... Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, tell you, I'll say a sentence and then I'll, I'll see what you think of it. Um, I'm a mother of three small children and I work flexibly. Mm-hmm. So I always say that. And then what I say is, did you hear and, or did you hear so? So I'm a mother of three small children and I work flexibly, or did you hear I'm a mother of three small children, so I work flexibly? Because the first part of flexible working really is myth busting. It's actually blowing it out of the water and saying, it's flexible working is not a reactive decision to what's going on in your life. Flexible working should be a proactive career choice, a proactive way of working. Um, and at the moment in education, we're still kind of, hamstrung by the fact that so many people just see it as for people returning from a period of parental or you know maternity leave it's for class teachers who want to do a part-time role shared you know shared classes that's it um and it's really hard to uncouple that kind of historical model from the possibilities the wider possibilities of flexible working because the first thing we need to remember is flexible working is for every single member of a workforce. It's not just for a particular demographic or people who yeah. fall in the, into a yeah. particular category or, you know, it's not just for people who've got an elderly parent to care for or a health condition or a child, you know, childcare responsibility. Every single person on every type of contract can have some element of flexible working because flexible working is about where you work, how often you work and then how you work <laughs> so yeah. it's, you know where where are you when you're doing your work um are you at home are you in are you on site it's how often do you work you know do you work full time do you work part time and then you know the ways in which you work so is it kind of um aggregated hours is it um sorry annualized hours is it um part at home part at school is it there's so many different ways of looking at it is it just a tiny little adjustment that you need for flex as in on a thursday can you come in at quarter past nine because you want to drop your child off at school or you need to see your mum's carer Mm. you know people equate flexible working with huge contractual changes and actually we mean about flexible working is just allowing people to live really well 
Um, and I actually hate the term flexible working. I can't stand it. I've even written a book about it. <laughs> yeah. But I hate it because it puts work front and centre when actually yes. what you want as an organisation is you want people to contribute to your, your organisation really well. Um, and the way that they get to do that is if they're being allowed to live really well. And they're yes. living really well will mm. be so bespoke and so dependent on their own individual circumstances, then it might be a huge contractual change going from a full-time head of department to a co-head of department on three days a week from Friday. That's that's a big thing. Or it might just be the, can I come in at quarter past nine? Or can I do my PPA at home? You know, it's that level. And it's interesting that you said about a flexible working policy, because again, I can't stand flexible working policies, because as soon as you write it down in the policy... Yeah. That says it is how we do it here. Yeah. Rather than it has to suit the individual, hasn't it? Yeah. So um the DfE is doing a massive amount of work about flexible working. It's got all sorts of projects going on that um I and colleagues across the uh, sector are involved in because it recognizes that something's gotta give. Mm. (laughs) Something we can't keep working in the way that we have been working if we want yeah. to retain and develop the very best people. Yeah. Um, we can't not offer the same sort of flex that they could potentially get in another sector. Yeah. Yeah. We will never be able to replicate it entirely. We'll never we will never be able to do that. But what we can't do is say we're not going to do any of it. <laughs> which which yeah. is what a lot of schools Absolutely. have done. Where do you find the most resistance to that flexibility coming from, though? Is it from society's expectation or is it from within the school system or is there a bit of both going on? It's again, it's context dependent. I mean, I know of huge multi academy trusts who are Mm. so on board with flexible working. They are flying the flag. They are leading the way. They are doing amazing work. Mm -hmm. And then I know of other multi academy trusts who've deliberately written anti-flexible working policies for all of their staff where staff are not allowed to go and see their children in an activity or they are not allowed to have a loo day and have deliberately written it into their policy so it's really hard to generalize because there are national big mats that are doing great work there are national big mats that are doing awful work in flex Mm -hmm. just like there are individual schools who are doing amazing work with it and individual schools who are making a right dog's breakfast, <laughs> making really yeah. hard work of it. Yeah. Um, but in terms of resistance, when Claire and I set up the co-headship back in 2009, which was mm-hmm. completely unheard of back then, yeah. it was so unusual, we'd steeled ourselves for a massive amount of resistance, um, mm-hmm. especially from the parents. We thought the parents are never going to accept this. Yes. And we'd written pages and pages of reasons we were going to give them. And mm-hmm. nobody batted an eyelid. <laughs> everybody just accepted it it's like oh okay and I think partly from a parental point of view that is because so many parents are used to working in environments that already have flexible working established Mm. they know that they can see that it works yeah and it's um, back then and I don't think it's necessarily the case now back then the resistance that we got was from existing head teachers who kind yes. of went, well, how do you make that work? How, that's a bit strange. That's yeah. a bit odd. Yeah. Um, and then alongside that, it wasn't so much a case of resistance. It was a case of the system not being ready 
because yes. we had trouble with getting paid and sorting out contracts. Mm. And there was literally a computer says no, because when we yes. when we contacted the LA payroll, they were like, well, we haven't got a drop down that says <laughs> teacher. What, what do mm. we do? What do we call you? So it was kind of operational type, types of yes. resistance. The children were fine about it. Mm. Um, and children genuinely, generally are fine about things. Um, the the op- operational thing that we came up against with the staff was that they weren't used to it and so didn't know who to report to. Yeah. So they were doubling yeah. up on their work because they thought they had yeah. to tell both of us. And mm-hmm. we kind of had to say, look, don't worry. If you've told one of us, yeah. that, that's fine. We'll tell yeah. the other one. So they were, yeah. Our staff were being really brilliant about it, but trying to do too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but was, was there a way around that then? Or was it just getting that message across that is literally tell what it's like is happening? It's like any kind of new leadership that you set up in a school, yeah. you've got your way of doing it that you just then need to communicate. And that it was just part of that bedding yes. down of that new kind of leadership system was, don't worry, if you've told one of us, that means we've been told, you know, we'll sort that bit out. Uh, don't worry about that. Um, but then there were other operational things in terms of the co-headship, like carving up who did what. Um, yeah. And then things about accountability who was responsible for things who wasn't responsible for things all of that sort of stuff but more widely in terms of flexible working um there's a lot of worries about and a lot of i don't want to say suspicion but there's a lot of concern about certain roles having flexible working within them but apart from the odd massive map that i've mentioned there's not necessarily out and out resistance because i think on a school level people are realizing that we need to offer different yes. ways of working. We need to make it work. I think potentially it's going to be quite a welcome, um, you know, practice because we see time in and time out of schools just on their knees, people working in school on their knees, you know, just not being able to get a doctor's appointment, for example, when someone wants to be able to need to go to the doctors and they can't do it because they've got to ring in it they've got to ring in before eight o'clock in the morning then they've got to be in school for you know before that and then there's just no time just even small things like that like you say are going to make massive difference to people's working lives and essentially by proxy their entire well-being um in in all around it's a it's a really weird setup in education in that we we don't realise a lot of the time how infantilised yeah. the teaching profession has become, that you must be on site between this yeah. time and this time yes. and you're not allowed to do this and you can't go here and you mm. can't go there. I don't know any... And the daft thing is, these are professionals who've just been to university, who've yeah. managed their workload perfectly well to secure a degree, who've yeah. managed their workload perfectly well Quite to right. get a post-grad um, uh, qualification. And then they come into school... We trust them with the safeguarding and the education of multiple small children, but yeah. we don't trust them to do their work unless they're not on site. It's completely insane that it's... there has to be that professional trust in a school to yeah. say if the work gets done, it doesn't really matter when or where it gets done, as long as it gets done to the right standard, we trust you as professional yeah. to go and do it. Does working flexibly then just have a more of an impact on the whole school culture that goes beyond that flexibility in terms of trust and in terms of you know people feeling enabled to do things? It's interesting because the the schools that I work with through the ambassadors the flexible working ambassador schools program, the schools where flexible working works really well, 
is where schools have already got a really well-established culture around kind of positive staff well-being and they're using flexible working as a lever for developing that as well so bolting on flexible working into a culture that's already toxic isn't going to fix a toxic culture that's right but incorporating flexible working as part of a wider well-being and culture offer works really well one of the dangers though that i've been working with the schools that i'm working with in the ambassador schools program is that too often individual schools um that really positive culture is personality dependent so if that head teacher left or if that senior team changed for whatever reason Mm -hmm. that culture might not necessarily be maintained so it's it is partly about culture and it's about approaches but actually there needs to be the kind of the processes and the system sitting underneath that so that it's not just um personality dependent and and or personality dependent in a culture where if you're in the chosen inner circle it's allowed and if you're not yeah yeah, Mm. Um, it has to be equitable doesn't it yeah Yeah. so it's got to be fair transparent and accessible and they're the kind of words that i keep using about flexible working and the way that you do it in the school it needs to be fair and open to everybody needs to be really transparent as to who's kind of granted it for want of a better word Mm -hmm. and everybody needs to be able to access it everybody needs to know how to ask and who to ask about it but that again sits within that wider culture bit but saying we do flexible working here and and then not actually investigating who does it how do you do it um who's asked for it why why haven't other people asked for it you know having one job share in year three does not a flexible working school make (laughs) it's actually about is it is it baked into your mm. kind of performance management and appraisal systems you know is everybody asked in performance management you know, is your current working setup working for you you know is there a, do you need any flex you know how mm. how could we develop the way that you work so that you can still match the needs of the organization but also better pursue whatever it is you want to pursue because yeah. um and people are like, oh i can't ask that because it sounds like i'm asking people if they want to go on maternity and i'm like no that's not what you're asking <laughs> you're saying to every single person in their appraisal how can we enable you to work really well so it might be that somebody wants to work from home one day a week on their management time or it might be that somebody wants to reduce their number of hours so they can pursue a doctorate or a master's Mm -hmm. somebody wants to reduce their hours so they can set up an education consultancy business or they want a secondment or they were you know if everybody's Mm -hmm. asked then Mm -hmm. that's transparent it's accessible and it's not just aimed at one particular particular group but that's again part of the wider culture part of the systems that need to underpin um how you develop that yeah do you know this is like music to my ears just being able, just just hearing that you are committed to making sure that everyone that works in that in that trust feels mm-hmm. valued enough to yeah. say how can we help you to live well like yeah. Yes. that's just you know for me I just love that and it's and I, I really hope that whoever's listening to this can either you know find out more about this 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 way of working and and really take time to invest in in what it means to to put this into practice because the amount of lives that will will be benefited from it is unreal and this is coming from a teacher who wishes that had happened, if that makes sense. You yeah. know, I, I've left the profession and hearing the way you talk about it, I'm like, oh, if someone had just said that to me, you know. Yeah. 
You see, one of the things, Emily, is about that flexible working as well is flexible, as in a lot of people think that once you've signed a flexible working agreement, you've signed the blinking Magna Carta, you haven't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's people just need to navigate things in their life, be that study, be that parenting, be that period of ill health, you know. Mm. And once you've kind of agreed it, what you've said is I recognise what you can contribute and what, yes. you know, yeah. what you bring to the job and also we can help you navigate this little bit because... Yeah. Um, the the example that I give is say for example you've got a very traditional route into teaching where you've come out of university in your early 20s and you've done your PGC and you come straight into teaching mm. okay and you stay in the teaching for the whole of your career and yeah. uh, you retire at about I think the retirement age for teachers about now is about 103 but whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's going to get even longer but isn't it? it's, it's what to me is an utter madness you're saying to people mm. right you come in at like 24 you retire at 68 whatever it is now um, and every single milestone of your life that you are going to navigate outside of work, we're going to insist that you work in exactly the same way yeah. whilst yeah. you're navigating all of that. It's yeah. a complete and utter nonsense. Mm. And people's lives are messy and complicated and, yeah. and things happen. But also they want to do things like they want to have secondments. They want to do further study. That's right. you know, and if we're insisting that they work five days a week, full time in these hours that doesn't give people the professional fire to want to develop right. any further so it's yeah. yes sometimes it's about responding to things in your personal life but sometimes it's actually flexible working for professional development mm. Mm. and one of the great things that my trust does is my roles completely I mean, when I was a head teacher my mum used to love it because she could tell all the mates at the WI that was a head and yeah. she says to me now I don't know what you do Emma what is it that you do I can't tell my friends what it is you do it was much easier when you were a head but the great but the great thing is because um, my trust has created this innovative role I don't necessarily have to be pigeonholed and just have one route through something they've created a role that suits me perfectly absolutely yeah. perfectly and that's retained somebody in education that's who right. potentially would have gone elsewhere yeah. and flexible working provides not only really great kind of personal life balance but also it allows trusts and organisations to be really innovative with how they develop their workforce to offer things other than the traditional head teacher, head of department, yes. vice president. Yep. You know, it, it's a very limited menu there. Whereas mm. if you actually say, right, what work needs doing? Let's look at how we divvy that up. Who does it suit? What could they mm. do? How do they want to work it? Let's match it like that rather than yep. trying to shove people into these very traditional roles. What my role now, because I work part-time for the Trust, has allowed me to do is I work part-time for the Trust and then I do all sorts of other work across the sector. But then what I do is all of that learning that I do from across the sector then comes back into my Trust and then yeah. get to benefit from everything that I'm doing elsewhere. Yeah. And that's another trick that's missed by yeah. schools and organisations is really realising that if you've got these kind of hybrid roles or... Um, patchwork roles or portfolio careers whatever you want yes. to call it it's hugely beneficial for your organizations because you're bringing in expertise that you ordinarily may not have tapped into mm. so for career development it's great so there's the personal balance ex um, element but there's, and there's also the career development element which yeah. allows people to respond to things and then as i mentioned about the magna carta it may well be that after a year two years three years that person then wants to work back in a more traditional role yeah. and you've retained that talent they haven't yeah. gone yeah. out of your system so it's huge it's a 
it's hugely short-sighted to see flexible working as a barrier rather than as a tool for nice. retaining and developing great yeah. people. Yeah, I love it. <sighs> totally. Is there anything that's really difficult to manage flexibly? Is there one thing that people go, oh, we can't deal with safeguarding or Ooh, we can't deal with sort of timetabling um, or, or is it just oh. a, a case of finding a way through it if you've got that culture that really values everyone and just wants to put everyone in the best place ask a secondary teacher and they'll tell you it's timetabling yeah um <clears throat> although i've spoken to lots of secondary expert timetablers who've said mm-hmm. it is possible it's if yeah. you put it, if you make it a priority if, if yes. you are committed so that will, will to make it work to make it work you will work and i know one of the flexible working ambassador schools that's a secondary school has recently run a series of webinars about flexible working and timetabling mm-hmm. as part of which i think they've recorded um, to support schools who want to look at flexible working in secondary. Yeah. Safeguarding is an interesting one because that was one of the things that Claire and I realised very early on mm-hmm. that actually does need one person to lead on it. So we would yeah. it wasn't that one of us led on safeguarding, but when we looked mm-hmm. at our caseloads for safeguarding, it made more sense for, right, I, I will support this family, you will yes. support that family because it was so important to have that yeah, coherent eyes on all the cues. Um and also, it meant that when we were working with vulnerable families, they didn't feel like they were getting passed yeah. From, yeah. from pillar to post. So safeguarding when we had caseloads of individual families, that made much more sense yes. um, because that was that kind of joined up thinking with one person with their eye on it. Um, there is an issue if you are going to do a job share or any kind of shared role about accountability that people don't necessarily think about because um, when people go into a job share or a shared role, they think they're all hearts and flowers and rainbows mm-hmm. and oh, isn't this lovely it's amazing yeah. um, and what they don't think about is that the other person could potentially get hit by the metaphorical bus mm-hmm. they could have a lot of absence they could have a real dip in their performance and then what does that mean for that other person in that role so when we are setting up a shared role within flexible working it's thinking about who's responsible for what are you 100% responsible for half of the stuff or are you 50% responsible for everything? And yeah. where, does, where does the line come? Mm-hmm. And because it's got implications for performance management, for appraisal, for all, yeah. all kinds of things. If you are joined with somebody mm-hmm. else, you need to know where yeah. the accountability is shared and also when it kind of stops. And then the other one that nobody thinks about is exit strategies. Um, but we were so gung-ho setting up the co-headship and we loved it and it ran for eight years and it was brilliant um but then I decided to leave and we hadn't got an exit strategy and it was awful it was probably the worst day of my life because Claire's one of my best friends in the world as well and I kind of had to sit down and do the it's not you it's me (laughs) 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 and sort of say you know I want to go and, and and we were like well what do we do what yeah. we haven't got a model for this you know what mm, happens yeah. when a shared leadership role goes you know does yeah. the other so person what, what did you do? have to step up do mm-hmm. do you have to recruit somebody in you know what do you yeah. do so anybody who's thinking about flexible working or flexible working arrangements especially in shared shared roles is what's your not only your setup strategy but what's yes. your exit strategy because nobody ever thinks about that and it's hard it's like thinking about a divorce on your wedding day exactly what you want to think about but mm. there does need to be that kind of professional measured approach to what yeah. do we do 
if mm. <laughs> you know that that part of it yeah so what's what's next for you emma what's going at what what are you involved in next because i'm really keen to always give people an opportunity to get in touch with whoever we speak to if they want to know more but what's coming up for you and how can people get in touch with you <laughs> uh, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. It's um, at Emma underscore Turner seventy five, and I rue the day I put that handle together because it gives away my age, and I'm trying to die now. I'm being thirty five, and it's I need to have a I need to change to eighty five and have a photo in some good light. <laughs> um, uh, so Emma underscore Turner seventy five. Um, I've got all sorts of things going on. I've obviously um, I work a lot with Tom Sherrington on the walkthrough stuff and the podcast that we do with him for John and um, I'm working on a project with Oliver Figlioli and David Goodwin on cognitive science at the minute I'm doing the flexible working ambassador school stuff I'm going down to Westminster in January and February to talk uh, about flexible working and workforce remodeling I'm working for the DFA on their specialist advisory panel for flexible working and I'm also working in my trust in discovery trust with our early career development and the flexible working project and so lots of fingers in lots of pies doing all sorts of just a few different... things then just that's really exciting though. and looking after three kids and uh <laughs> oh, yeah no big no big deal no. <laughs> um emma thank you so much for being on this podcast uh we're, we're really really appreciative of, of your time and i i've loved hearing about flexible work and i'm sure oliver you have some experience totally. of it yes. as well before and it's just you know what it's a breath of fresh air like i said it's just good to know that there isn't a kind of an alternative kind of direction that schools can take which is going to be beneficial for for everyone involved in there and i think it's really important so thank you so much for your time keep in touch with the leaders team won't you yep pleasure thank you very much for having me it's really nice thank you so much emma it's been <laughs> thank great you. thank you so much take care Bye-bye. the leaders team podcast is brought to you from the leaders team at twinkle we help leaders lead Check us out at twinkle.co.uk forward slash SLT.